Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Um, I, I believe tonight God wants to just share some things and help you come into the fulfillment of the prophetic word. Now, I want to say this again. I believe that God's word, the Bible, is the highest and sweetest and most purest form of prophecy you will ever, ever receive. I often self-prophesy. I take God's word and I speak it over myself. Because this is the highest form of prophetic revelation that has ever been written, that will ever be written, and every other prophecy comes in under it and submits to it. Amen? We agree with that, don't we? And so I, when I'm talking about coming into the prophetic this afternoon, this uh, evening, when I'm talking about how we walk into the fullness of your prophetic word, how we come into a place of receiving the outworking of the prophecy, even if you've never ever received a personal prophetic word, the Bible says something better about you and better about your life that you can walk into. And this word is as powerful in God's mouth, as it is in your mouth when you speak it over your life. And it's important that we understand there are promises in here, prophetic promises that we can walk into. I thought that was a good point. <laughs> Let me just, I just want to teach you a little something on the Amen of the Lord, very quickly. <laughs> the word Amen, Paul talks about saying Amen. Okay? All the promises of God are yes and... It means, and so be it. Now, I come from a crazy Pentecostal charismatic church, and we say amen all the time. And as a result, some people have slightly got offended with the amen. And I understand that, and I'm asking you to shout out amen. However, when you come into agreement with the Word of God, and in your heart there's an amen, there's an and so be it, and you agree with it, the Bible calls that word symphoneo which means two different sounds or many different sounds coming into one pure sound, which is where we get the word symphony from. Hmm. Alright, so there are many different sounds coming from different instruments, but they're making one incredible sound. And it's beautiful. When you agree with the purposes of God and you say Amen, it releases the sound of heaven in your life. It releases that the, the, the blessing of God in your life. And so I often, when I'm reading stuff, I say, I want that. Yes, Lord, and so be it. I just shorten it to amen. Um, because it stirs something in my heart to agree with heaven's perspective about me so that we make the same sound. Good. You guys have got it. You're quick learners. So when you hear something good, I probably, you don't have to shout amen because that is a bit naff sometimes. Um, <laughs> but just agree with it in your heart. Just go, yes, I like that. Or oh, I'll take that for me, okay? Right, sorry. That was just on the side and for free. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to look um, at verse 1 to 9 and then verse 18 to 23. Now that same Jesus went... That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him. And so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd sat on the, stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, The sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and 
the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil, um, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and heals in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This evening I want to talk about cultivating a secret garden. Cultivating your heart in such a way as to receive the full weight of what God wants to do and what God wants to speak into your life. One of the things that I notice and uh, very often people ask me is, well, Julian, I've received this incredible prophetic word, really amazing, but what am I going to do with it now? What do I do with the promises of God? How do I walk into them? How do I fulfill them? And uh, tonight, God wants to help you come into a place where you can begin to encounter and experience the word of God literally growing in your heart so that there's fruit for you to eat from it. Prophecy is not meant to be something that falls onto the ground and you leave it there. There is a cultivation, there is a growing, and there is a watering that causes fruitfulness to be produced. Prophecy is not fatalistic. It requires a partnering with heaven. And so I, I want to just pick up a few things. The first thing I want to pick up is I love this phrase that Jesus used, the word of the kingdom. As I'm beginning to grow in an understanding of what it means to be a kingdom people, what it means to understand kingdom dynamics, I'm beginning to read the scripture very differently. Because up until recently, I'd read the scripture in an individualistic sense, totally disconnected from the rule and reign of God's kingdom in my life. And I'm beginning to understand that actually when Jesus preaches his gospel, it's a gospel of the kingdom. It's a gospel of his ruling and reigning and demonstrating his power in our life. Therefore, how I read scripture how I understand this incredible salvation that I've received by grace, it must be impacted by an understanding of his lordship, an understanding of who he is. Now when a king issues a decree, it is final and it's outworking. And there are kingdom decrees that have been spoken over us where the king has determined in his heart, the king of kings and the lord of lords, he's determined in his heart to speak a better word over you than what your parents could have, than what sin can, 
than what the world can. He speaks a better word over you. He speaks a word of His kingdom. And when you come into that, when you understand that, when you receive that decree, something's going to begin to grow in your heart. And for many of us, we don't understand that actually our citizenship, our rulership, our identity is not earthbound. Who we are in this world is not determined by the opinion of a psychologist. It's not determined by the opinion of your socio-economic status. It's not determined by the opinion of your past. It is determined by the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Because He's pulled us in Him into this new kingdom. And when we hear the word of the kingdom, it is a decree concerning our identity. It is a decree concerning our future, our destiny, our purpose, and the blessing that's in Him because we've received grace. The word of the kingdom is not simply just, you know, a nice little preach, you know. The word of the kingdom is His very thoughts concerning you. It's His very purposes concerning you. And if you understand a kingdom mentality, you understand, and you guys know this well, because you've grown up in understanding something of a royal monarchy. There's no democracy in a royal monarchy. What the monarch says goes. If the queen issues a decree, I know it's slightly different now, but back in the day, if a king or queen issued a decree, it happened. It was meant to take place and take root. There was potential in that word. And, and very often, you'd hear of a forerunner running out. So this is where the imagery comes from. Forerunner runs out and declares, this is what the king says. This is the word of the kingdom. And even though there's no outworking of change right there and then, everyone in that community will know something's coming that's going to bring change. And it's the same when we receive the prophetic word, when we receive something of God's purposes, when we receive the word of the kingdom, something's about to change. I find it fascinating that God determines in his heart to set potential, purpose, power and greatness in a thing that is small and almost unseen called a seed. It is the way of God. It is the way of the kingdom. He takes that which seems small and he puts it into the heart of man. And that which seems small and insignificant begins to grow to become the most significant. My Bible tells me that one day his kingdom will take over all the kingdoms of this world. I want to tell you, and it's not hard to prophesy this now, the British kingdom is going to come down. The American kingdom is going to come down. South Africa is going to come down. And his kingdom will rule and reign supreme over all. That's the word of the kingdom. It is a word that speaks a whole new identity. It is a word that speaks a whole new realm of possibility. That out of something small, like a seed that fits into your heart, it begins to grow and develop into something great. Now, the receiving of this word and the cultivating of this word is determined by the type of soil that it falls to. You see, 
I've met a number of people who derailed their destiny, who've missed out on their prophetic word because the condition of their heart to receive the seed of the kingdom and the word of the kingdom was not prepared. And friend, I want to say to you that there have been moments that I have missed my opportunity in God because I have ignored some things and I've allowed thorns or I've allowed a hardness of heart to come into my to my soil, as it were, in my garden, and I've missed an opportunity for the kingdom. It's very possible. And so the condition of your heart will determine the fruitful yield of the kingdom. If your heart's not ready to receive, if your heart's not prepared to receive, you won't enjoy the full outworking of what God wants for you. Now, I find it fascinating. The word heart, most often in the New Testament, is translated uh, soul very often. And it means your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so God's talking about the realm of your mind, your will, and your emotions. He's talking about what's going on on the inside of you when no one else is looking. When no one else is watching... How you receive the Word of God is determined by what's going on on the inside of you. Now, I'm praying for a greenhouse in my heart. And the minute I receive the smallest seed, something happens quickly and it begins to grow. And we see four different types of soil. And I want to I press on very quickly because I believe God wants to minister to many. The first soil we see is the hardness uh, or path that's become hard and so the sow is throwing these seeds. Now, I've seen this in Africa because literally they'll just throw seeds all over the place. And it falls along the path. Now, a path may speak of a hard route. I was in Mozambique uh, a few years ago. Oh, it's an incredible story. And there's a particular lady who's ministering out there and she often crossed the border from South Africa into Mozambique. Just a, a sweet missionary doing some work just post uh, the war, and as a result, she had to learn how to walk through landmine-infested pieces of uh, of uh, fields, and literally, the Holy Spirit will lead her about where she needed to take the first step, the next step, through landmines. I mean, and so we worked there, and she says to us, "Now listen, you must follow me perfectly, because if you don't, you might step on a landmine." You clearly know what I did. I was like right behind her, following her very perfectly. But what's happened is wherever she's walked now, there's a pathway because her feet and the walking has called a hardness into that path and the soil is no longer uh, uh, penetrable with any kind of seed. And I find that in the church today, very often, Hardness of heart is one of the key things that stop us from entering in to the promises of God. Cynicism. Unbelief. Because actually, Jesus says in this context that the pathway speaks to people who do not understand the Word. And for most intellectuals, for most Westerners, we think that faith starts in the realm of understanding first. And so if we understand how God does miracles, maybe we'll have more faith to do them. If we understand how God's going to work out my destiny, maybe I'll have faith to step out in it. But the Bible says in Hebrews that it's by faith that we understand the world was created. 
the starting point for receiving um, is breaking a hardness of heart and unbelief through faith. And I want to say to you in the Western world today, one of the biggest battles that we have to face and one of the things we have to cultivate in our heart is a gentleness and a softness and a believing like that of a little child. Children believe in the miraculous, they believe in the angelic, they believe in the cross and the resurrection and the virgin birth until someone tells them it's not true. And so we have to cultivate a heart that begins to move from the hardness of our hearts because of unbelief, because of cynicism, because of, you know, there's nothing wrong with questioning things. But it's the way you question. It's a hard attitude. It's a hard attitude. And I want to say to you, and I want to suggest to you, that one of the things we need to do in these days is work to walk in the fulfillment of the prophetic, if we're to walk in the fullness of the kingdom of God, bearing fruit in our life, is to deal with hardness of our heart and the unbelief that so often dominates our society. What fascinates me, and if I can be cheeky, and I will be, um, is that there's a generation out there who actually have no problem with anything transcendent. They don't have a problem with seeking psychic powers. They don't have a problem with seeking tarot card readings. They don't have a problem with going for Reiki healing. There's no need to convince anyone in the world about supernatural power. Yet in the church, it seems like we're 10 years behind. And we're still trying to convince people that what's in the Bible is true. We've got to break a hardness of heart, cynicism, skepticism. Because what it does is it stops the seed of God from falling into the ground and producing fruit. The second thing I notice is that there was some sowed on rocky ground. Now, man alive, I know many rocky Christians. There is a theology that goes around and forgive me if I step on anyone's toes, that, well, you know, Jesus really just wants to make a better you. You know? Look. (laughs) What was the one I saw titled in a Christian book? Look great, feel good. In in a Christian bookstore. This is a, a book for Christians. Now, I'm trying to figure out, help me, Jesus. Is the gospel about my comfort? Is the gospel about my need or is the gospel about the glorification of Jesus? Friend, I want to say to you, you know, I, I think that things like uh, TVN, God TV are incredible tools to reach the nations. But not everything that's on them is very good. And there are theologies and doctrines going around that your comfort is the sole purpose of God. And so when tribulation comes wrong, when the economic crisis in England starts to shake, the Christian goes, where is God? And I'm thinking, one of the most certain promises, it is rock solid and sure, is that you will have tribulations in this life. You can say amen to that one. It's not one of the little kind of, you know, I used to get the little thing called bread of life 
when, uh, when I was a kid and you could pick out a promise for the day, it was almost like, you know, your Christian horoscope for the day. Let's pick out a promise. And uh, not once did I pick out, take heart, you will have tribulation in this life. Not once did I pick that up. And God talks about, Jesus talks about a heart that is filled with rocky stuff. There's a whole lot of, of seemingly good soil, but actually it's rock hard because they didn't understand the character and purposes of God in their life. And so seed begins to fall on them. And the next minute, when difficulties come, and they will come, I prophesy, they will come, they start shaking. And because there's no root, there's no depth, there's no soil to their life and to their connectivity with God, they fall off the boat. Friends, Psalm 105 says an incredible thing in verse 19, I think it is, that the word of the Lord tested Joseph. Until what God had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. I wonder if the prophetic line at the end of a meeting would diminish if we talked on, are you ready for testing after your prophetic word? You see, God's not simply wanting to endorse what you want through a prophetic word. He's wanting to change you into the very image of Jesus through your prophetic word. You see, all prophecy is summed up in the person of Jesus. One day, everything, all of history past, all of history future, the present, will work to and be summed up in the person of Jesus because everything will come under his feet. My personal prophecy It's not something that's just going to give me goosebumps every time I read it in my journal. It's meant to point to the reality of Jesus so that my life begins to change, so that my destiny is fulfilled in Him. And it's important that we cultivate a heart that is ready to receive the Word of God. The third thing, and I want to just touch on a few things here. The Bible talks about the Word of the Kingdom being sowed among some thorns. Now, how many of you have noticed, now I'm not like green fingers kind of guy, I don't really do gardening, um, in fact I'm hopeless at it, but I know this one thing, you never have to plant thorns anywhere, they just seem to grow up all over the place. <laughs> have you noticed that? And uh, I just want to touch on a few thorns that I believe speak of demonic strongholds that begin to wrap around the fruit of the kingdom and suck the life out of it. And I wanted to speak on a few things, and I think, I, I pray, I, I hope I don't offend anyone, uh, and I just want to give this disclaimer. I come from South Africa, and there are many cultural issues that we have to face and work through if we're going to come into a place of wholeness and healing as the church in South Africa. There are loads. But I've noticed some in your nation. And as an outsider, it's easier to notice that. I've noticed that when English people come to South Africa, they can hit things much easier because they're outside of the culture. And there are just a few things that I've picked up while I've been here. I've been in the country now for over two years in its entirety. And uh, there are just a few things that I feel I want to touch on to help us because I think these thorns are growing up and left untrimmed, left, if we don't pull them out, I think actually they could really squeeze the life of God out of you. The first thing I've noticed in the UK, is that there is, right in the very heart of man, an incredible fear of failure. 
It's like, in fact, even in this country, people seem to celebrate failure. And so something goes wrong, it's on the front page news. And if something's going really good, no one praises what's going really good. They're saying, well, we'll just wait and see for when it all comes crashing down. Have you noticed that? And I find that as a result in the church, I hear preachers get up like this. I always find this funny in the UK. I just want to start off by apologizing. And I'm thinking, what are you apologizing for? You haven't even offended me yet. And everything starts off from a place of, I mustn't fail, and so therefore I want to cover all of the bases to make sure that nothing negative happens, and as a result, it blocks the realm of faith and adventure in God. And another result is that we've seen young people being raised up in a context of, if you fail, it's going to be celebrated, and it's going to be praised, And so they lack any kind of ambition in God to press through that which is normal, to press through that which is expected into the extraordinary. Right now, the Spirit of God is just touching some people. Because this is a spiritual stronghold that God wants to break off of you. My Bible says that you are the head and not the tail. It says that you... Every piece of ground that you walk on, God wants to give you. I'm not just talking about prosperity. Please hear my heart here now. Although God does want you to be prosperous and we'll touch on the money issue in a moment. But God wants you to understand that your identity is in Christ. That that which is true of Jesus is true of you. That the same blessing, favor, access and anointing that is on him is on you. You are are destined to be a success. In fact, you passed the test without even writing it because Jesus wrote it for you. Failure is not an option for the Christian. I'm not talking about disappointment now. I'm talking about failure. Because even in your falling down, you're on an escalator of grace that keeps taking you up. And friend, I want to encourage you. Then until we break this failure mentality, we'll never get these two things out. One, performance. We'll, we'll always live in a place of, I must perform, I must perform, I must do better, I must do better. And the other thing is a fear of man. And the Bible says a fear of man is a snare. It traps you. It keeps you. It holds you. Now, I, I want to tell you, I'm talking out of my own experience here. Fifteen years ago, I was a shy, introverted young man who couldn't even do a class presentation because he's so afraid of failing. I would get physically sick. But God changed my identity. Something we had cultivated in my heart about the purpose of the kingdom, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, that he has given me all things pertaining to life and godliness, that I am an overcomer because of the work of cross of Jesus Christ. And God wants to break off the fear of failure. The second thing I've noticed, and this is going to be quite funny, is that there's a real fear in the area of money. And I want to hit this particularly at this point. Because one of the things I found, you know, I come from a poor country. 
And for the large majority of my life, I lived, as a, we, as a family, we lived just with enough. Okay, we didn't have anything fancy. Don't worry, I'm not going to take up an offering. Some of you are looking a bit nervous. <laughs> but something that had gripped my heart as a young man concerning the spirit of poverty. And my need for what I wanted and what I desired caused me to get into debt at times. And I was just trying to get stuff. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Because I felt I would never have enough because of the way I grew up. And God began to speak to me one day and he said to me, Son, do these things, do you hold these things or do these things hold you? And God began to speak to me about the spirit of poverty. Because you see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were naked before the fall. They had no need. But after they sinned, all of a sudden, poverty entered in. They needed something to cover their sin. And I thought God said to me, the spirit of poverty has got nothing to do with what you have or what you don't have, because you can have everything and still be under a spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty has to do with a sinful attitude that misplaces your trust and your ability to believe God in Him for your provision rather than that which is around you to provide. You see, and really the eldership haven't paid me to say this. So many people live under the fear of giving. And they go, well, we'll just give our tithe. Most people actually don't even give that, but anyway, that's not the point. The point is this, God wants you to live in generous giving, because you'll live generously. When you generously give, you will live in the extravagance of heaven. I I, I cannot tell you how many times God has blessed me simply by giving. This watch over here is called a fossil watch, one of my favorite brands. I love fossils. I've given away two and received three. As often as I give them away, God seems to give them back to me. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you need to be unwise. Please hear my heart. Although sometimes faith is seemingly unwise. What I'm saying is that one of the things that often blocks our ability in the kingdom of God from receiving fruitfulness is a fear of not having enough, or even if you have enough, a fear that one day you might lose it all. Jesus said an incredible thing. If I cannot trust you with earthly riches, how can you expect me to trust you with heavenly riches? The way you deal with your money is a direct reflection on how Jesus will bring revelation from heaven to you. I will move right along. The third thing, and this is the last thing, because I know I'm giving you body blows here. But I do love you. And God wants to cultivate in your heart an ability to see fruitfulness. The third thing is false humility. I prophesied over someone and they said, Oh, God could never do that with me. Do you really think he'll do that with me? I'm like, he just told me he's going to do that with you. And they're like, never, not me. I'm just, woe is me. I'm just a little, little English guy. And I, I want to say, again, I'm talking out of my own experience here. In my nation, and I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this, I'm considered what's called a coloured person. It's mixed race. I know you guys call it mixed race here, but in my nation, I'm coloured. 
And uh, one of the things that the colored people in South Africa have to walk under is a subservience. And uh, uh, they, they feel subservient because most of my people were servants okay, under the apartheid system. And so we always used to serve. And so if there's a white person around, your natural disposition would be to serve. And in the church, we would have the same thing with a lot of people who just be like really subservient. And, and they call that humility. I'm just being humble because I need to serve. I need to serve. And we connected slavery with servanthood. I want to tell you, humility is not denying your gifting. It's not denying who you are. It's recognizing the one who gives it to you. That's true humility. And very often, uh, you know, the classic story, someone was playing the piano really brilliantly and uh, guy said to him, wow, you were absolutely fantastic on that piano today. Really helped facilitate worship. And the person said, it wasn't me, it was God. And the person said, what about the mistake you made in the third song? Was that God too? Because <laughs> we think humility is being, oh, it's just Jesus. No, no. Do you know, I recognize that I have a gift from God. And trust me, I have done nothing to earn it. I've done nothing to get it. But I recognize that in His gracious kindness and in His sovereign choosing, He's given me a gift. And do you know what? I enjoy it. I love prophesying over people. I love it when people come to me and say, Julian, the word you gave me came to pass. I'm like, yes, please. Thank you, Jesus. When people come up to me and say, that was a really good preach. I don't go, oh, it was all the Lord. I go, thank you. And isn't God good? Because I recognize the gifting and the anointing that is on my life is not from me, but from Him. But to simply ignore it is false humility and actually to form a pride that says, you know better than God. I'm going to come in for a landing. The last one. I wanted, I wanted to touch on the orphan spirit, but I think this church really does well in that, so keep going for it. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is, is you do really well in dealing with the orphan spirit, I mean. Um, <laughs> Jesus says, and then there's seed that comes into good soil. Now, I find the bit about the good soil very fascinating because even in that, he gives varying degrees of fruitfulness, the yield of fruitfulness. And I believe the condition of your heart, the secret garden of your heart will determine the yield of fruitfulness. I am wanting to make sure I'm pulling out thorns, I'm pulling out, I'm pulling out the rocks, I'm wanting to make sure that I'm completely uh, clean before God, I'm wanting to make sure that I'm in a place where I'm Loving Him, where intimacy is the preoccupation of my heart. You see, intimacy is the currency of faith. If I had to drop down right now with a severe illness, my dad, who's one of my heroes, will hop onto a plane, fly right over here, and come and make sure that I'm okay. (coughs) How do I know that? Because I know my dad. I call him, this is a bit naff, but I'm going to say, I call him Popsy. And I, I, he's quite cute, isn't he? Um, <laughs> I still, at 30 years old, call my dad Popsy. I know that it doesn't matter what happens, no matter where I am in the world, he'll be at my side. Because I know him. I know his character. I know what it's like to get a hug from him. I know what it's like to feel his pleasure on me. I know what it's like when he says, son, you did well. I know him because we have intimacy. 
Porque the reason I can believe that he'll come, the reason I have faith that he'll come, is because I know him. If you want to cultivate a heart that receives the word and grows in faith, you have to be intimate with him. And you know, I saw a book called uh, The One Minute Prayer a Day. And I thought to myself, gosh, wouldn't it be great if I got intimate with someone just over one minute, you know? Like my, my future wife could be, I'll be like, hey, we've got one minute to go and then I'm going, goodbye. <laughs> I don't think I'd have a future wife if I did that. There are many of us do that with God. <laughs> I, I've even heard teachings on the balance between Mary and Martha. Sitting at his feet and doing work for him. Jesus said the better part is sitting at his feet. Getting intimate with him. The other way we we cultivate and develop the secret garden is by making sure that our lifestyles are filled with the word of God. There is an attack on our generation saying, hey, let's give up on reading. Let's give up on getting the word into our hearts. My friends, young people, read this. I'm not an academic. I mean, I don't have anything behind my name. I don't have a degree. I don't have anything behind my name. I've just got Jesus, which is really cool. And it's hard for me to get into this. It's hard for me to read theological books. It's hard for me to develop the garden of my heart with the Word because I've really got to work hard in reading it. But you know what? It's a discipline that I know will heal incredible fruitfulness. Please get into this. And then lastly, I want to say the best way to develop a secret garden and making sure your soil, the soil of your heart is rich, is by developing a dynamic, radical friendship with the Holy Spirit. I just want to say a few things about the Holy Spirit. We do not serve the unholy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. We serve a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who takes those words and cultivates it in our heart. Amen? Second thing I want to say is the Holy Spirit is not the butler of heaven. He is God. And until we recognize and put him in the rightful place, we'll never receive the benefit of counseling, of teaching, of guiding, of power. Third thing, I don't know which number I'm on about the Holy Spirit now. The Holy Spirit is not at odds with the Bible. He wrote the Bible. There's no such thing as word and spirit. Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. They're intertwined, interconnected. As I'm preaching, you have an opportunity to engage in spirit right now. If you want to cultivate something in your heart that's going to cause the receptivity of God's word, you must understand relationship with the Holy Spirit. Mary, when she received the very word into her womb called Jesus, the Bible says it was the Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary. That word overshadowed means to be overcome with a haze of brilliancy. There's the the revelation, the rhema of God that begins to well up on the inside of you and begins to grow. 
and you begin to carry the very word of God in you. Friend, if we're to become people who see the full outworking of our prophecies, who see the full outworking of, um, of the kingdom of God in our life, really, we have to cultivate the secret garden. And it's going to require radical intimacy. Radical intimacy. For some of you, it's going to require that actually you set time aside in your day to love on Jesus. Please, I'm not preaching legalism. If you do out of legalism, you'll get tired and boring and it'll just be grumpy for you. If you do it out of love, it could be the most rewarding thing. He is just so fantastic. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to spend time with him. I don't understand why it would be a chore or a duty. If it is, you're probably under a religious spirit and need deliverance. He is so breathtakingly fantastic that I want to spend my time with him. He's lovely. He's lovely. He's lovely. Isn't he beautiful? How many of you sense his presence just coming in? It's like honey tonight, isn't it? It's just so sweet right now. This is the sweetness that I want from him day in. This is what this moment of intimacy, if you engage with him right now, that's what's going to cultivate a secret garden that causes you to receive the word of God so the enemy will not steal it. So it will grow and bear fruit. Be overcome by the very Holy Spirit. He is wonderful. He's my best friend, the Holy Spirit. He really is. He's lovely. When you get to know him and you get to sense his presence in moments when all of a sudden I sense his presence and he's more here than he was a moment ago and I know it's time to go and be with him. There are moments when in the middle of the night he wakes me up and his presence is there and it's the sweetest thing. There are moments when I'm walking down the street and joy begins to fill me. I don't even know where it's come from, but I know it's him. <coughs> there are moments when I'm struggling with temptation and sin and he comes and he says, I'm here to help you. And I overcome it. And I know it's him. He's my friend. And he's the one who's the keeper of this garden. He's the one who's the keeper of my heart. And when you understand that, there's grace in it. It's not hard. It's not difficult. There's grace in it.